The title of my preach is, What Could It Look Like If We Gave Everything to Jesus? And tonight we broke bread and, and shared the blood of Jesus. So in breaking bread, I mean, that's a symbol of he gave everything. He gave his whole life, you know, and we don't have to give our lives because he's already done that. So what would it look like if we gave everything to Jesus? So I just want you to go through this journey with me and just hear me out, and then I'll share a bit of my testimony as, as we go through this uh, and what it would look like if we gave everything to Jesus. So what would it look like? What if I surrender everything to God? It's possibly an easy thing for us to say, but in reality, when we have to do it, will we do it? And Jesus doesn't want some of us. He wants everything. So when we say, yes, we'll give everything, is that, will we give everything? He wants our life. He wants our car. Maybe he wants your house. Maybe he wants your finances. Maybe he wants your time. Maybe he wants your comfort. Hey? Your comfort, just sitting there where it's comfortable, where we're not stretched. Maybe Jesus wants that. Okay. And then the thing is, if we do give everything to Jesus, there's a freedom. Okay. And when I say a freedom, it's not a freedom of we're able to do what and when we please. When and what we please. Because there's a lot of people that have done what they please, and they've ended up in prison. You know, so if we do what and when we please in our own strength and in our flesh, it doesn't always result in freedom, but sometimes results in bondage. Okay. And, and God doesn't want us to be in that bondage. God wants us to give it to Him. Jesus wants us to give it to Him. He wants us to give it over to Him so that we can walk in a freedom. And if we don't, it's a difficult path for us. Okay. There's two scriptures I'd like to share, and I'd like to compare these two scriptures. And again, just bear with me, and we'll get, to, we'll get to a point just now. The one is Mark 10, verse 17 to 22. So maybe, yeah, maybe let's just put a bit of, I'll, I'll read through the scripture, and then we'll go with it just now. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. Eh? He's about to reprimand you. Well, not reprimand you. He's about to encourage you in a way. And, he says, and, the, and the scripture says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Something I've got to learn because I sometimes don't reprimand with all the love that I possibly could. Hey, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Okay, and and on, in verse 22 is very important in this whole scripture. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Okay, then the scripture goes on. Okay, because this is, this is um, you know, as the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around 
and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so, so we use, this scripture often gets used out of context because we only hear the part of how hard it is for, it, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And, but why does Jesus say that? It's because this wealthy man didn't want to give, he, gave, he, he did his whole raft right. From when he was a small kid, he followed the commandments. And he asked Jesus, well, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said to him, go give up everything to the poor. And it was difficult for him. Okay. So, so that wealth, he held on to his wealth. And that's why Jesus said it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. And that wealth could mean anything. In this scripture, it means physical wealth. But that wealth could mean anything. It could mean your time. It could be anything that you idle, maybe. Again, it could be those things that Jesus wants from us. It could be our time. It could be our luxuries. It could be our house. It could be our finances. And I, and I want to encourage you to think about those things that you maybe are holding on to. And it doesn't have to be physical wealth. It could be your children. We hear a lot of people say, oh, I first want to get my children right, then I'll come to church. No, 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 no. No. God wants you. He wants you right. Because if you get it right, you know what? By coincidence, your children will get it right. Okay, so God wants that. So yeah, just, and then there's another scripture. And in these scriptures, I just, for me, it articulates Jesus' reaction when we want to hold on to things, which is the scripture that I've just, we've just showed, and when we give everything away. And then he, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So, I look at those two scenarios, and, and you almost want to see, like, what was Jesus more impressed with? The guy that had followed his commandments, that had followed all the commandments, that had been righteous and did all the things right, but was very reluctant to give up his wealth. Or the lady that had nothing and gave everything. Okay. The lady that had nothing and gave everything. And again, I just want to tell you, if you, if you give everything, and, I, and I'll, I'll share now what I feel that looks like or how God honors those sort of things, you know. But, but he's definitely pleased when you prepare to give everything. And it doesn't mean you must go out there now and, Go give your car and go give your house. No, no, it doesn't mean that because then you'll be doing it in the flesh as well. It's like, what is God telling you to give? What are the things you holding on to that, sorry, I may not point. I'm pointing, eh? <laughs> sorry, I'm being encouraging, man. I'm trying to get, like, what does God want you to give? You know, and that's, that's a discussion between you and God. You know, and, and what, is, what are those little things? What are those little things you're holding on to? Those things of pride. Those comforts, what are they? Again, are you prepared to give it all up? It might be anything. It might be small or big. 
again, there's the freedom, a peace and a joy that you will not understand until you go out in faith and try it. But sometimes we're in a position where we, we actually lack faith. We actually lack faith because we're scared, if I do this, will this happen? Or if I do that, what about this? Okay, because giving everything, it takes courage. And I'm going to start sharing a bit of my testimony because when I gave everything, I had to give up friends that I thought I'll never get back. And you know what? I've got better and more friends now that are real. Okay. I had to give up a whole lot of things, which I'll go through now. But, but yeah, wrestle with the Lord with that. Wrestle, like, what is it that you maybe are holding on to that's actually stopping you from walking to a freedom that He has for you? As, as I started this journey of, of giving things up, and, and I'll show you now what I, what, what I did start giving up, and there's a, there's a scripture that God helps us, that when we do give the things, there's a scripture that actually encourages us to do these things. It's Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and will fill your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what's Jesus saying here? Like we, we, we sometimes interpret a yoke to be heavy. Because think about it. Like if I had to stand here next to Stefan and we were yoked at the neck, that's, I think that would, that's quite heavy because I've got to do what Stefan's got to do. But Jesus, is, you know why he's saying this? Is come here, come here, come here under my arm. Let me go with you. Let me guide you. Let me help you. When I go ahead and you're lacking a little bit, I'll pull you along. When you're falling behind, or sorry, when you're falling behind and he's going ahead, he'll pull you along. And if you're going ahead too fast, he'll pull you back a bit. Okay, so, so I want to encourage you. Jesus says he'll help us. He says, take on his yoke. Because his burden is light. And in that, he says, I'll teach you. And your humility and gentleness. So walk with him. Walk with Jesus. Give it all to Jesus and walk with him. He'll teach you humility. He'll teach you gentleness. And in that, coincidentally, other things will open up. So I want to encourage you with that scripture. I want you to take it down. I want you to note it. When you give it to him, he's going to joke with you. He's going to take you under his wing. You want to say, flat, father, say, come, but let's go. Okay. As I share my story, how God changed things in our lives, and while I was willing to give up a lot, uh, I just want to ask you, don't, don't feel sorry for me, don't envy me, don't put me on a pedestal, and don't judge me. Okay. Because at the end of the day, the glory belongs to Jesus. Okay. And we have testimonies because testimonies stir our faith. They're supposed to stir our faith. So I pray that this part of the testimony stirs your faith. Okay. Again, it's a, it's, and I want you to hear the story as how we started giving everything, how Jesus opened doors up for us. So we lived in Uganda for 10 years and in South Sudan for three years. And in South Sudan, I worked for... 
S.A.B. Miller. They had a brewery in South Sudan. I lived on the brewery, and I drank a lot. Okay, there's nothing else to do. If you want to leave that compound, you have to have escorts to go out. So you work hard, and you play hard. Okay, but the thing is, it's a slippery slope. You don't know what you're in until you're out of it. And it was December, sorry, August 2013. My dad passed away. Sorry. And I had malaria. My two kids had severe malaria. So we were vulnerable. We were super vulnerable. And something just woke up. Jesus just woke something up in my life. Because it was. It was a wake-up call. You can imagine my wife trying to look after her husband. Got cerebral malaria. And her two kids both got malaria. Kid of eight months old and a kid of three years old. And it just woke something up in my life. And I just decided I have to start getting my life right. And I started studying the reason why I started studying is because I could use the studying as an excuse to stop going to all the drinking functions and all the drinking sessions. So every time there was a drinking session, I'd say, no, I can't. I have to go study. And I've got a, I've got a very addictive character. Like if I'm in it, I'm in it properly. And I'll show you I'm going to be the best at it. So I couldn't do it halfway. I didn't have the discipline to say I'll only have one and then go because it would have to be the last one at the party. So I just had to stop completely. And God gave me this tool to start studying. I'll never forget writing exams in the South African embassy in Juba. It's a container on the side of the road, man. And Sorry, I just want to find my place here. Yeah, and so, so Juba, Jubalicious. Um, when we moved to Juba, my son was six weeks old. My daughter was three years old. By the time LaDonna was five years old, she was on her fourth passport. Okay, because of the hostility in that country. So, we'd have to fly in and out, in and out. And I say we, but actually it was Sunal and the two kids alone 90% of the time. Things would flare up, and I'll get to that now. But, but yeah, there was... It was a hostile place. And, and I want to tell you what I gave up. Because when I was with SAB, man, I was flying. I was earning money in US dollars, much more than I earn right now. Okay? I was climbing this corporate ladder. I was an HPI, high potential individual. I was sent on these accelerated leadership courses. <laughs> It was going well. I was doing really well in this business. And then that December, so the August, I started giving my life to the Lord. Not started giving my life to the Lord, but there was a wake-up, and I started spending time in the Word, and I started spending time with Jesus. And that December 13th, I'll never forget it, 2013, war broke out in South Sudan. And when I say war, it's not just a gunshot Yeah, There was, for four or five days, there was mortar and gunfire. 
So much so that we had to put the TV on super loud in front of our kids so that they wouldn't hear the gunfire. And after five days, we were able to get a UN escort to go to the airport to get out of that place. And I was like, I'll stay. I'll stay. Like on my own strength. But like, um, yeah, I'm going to be the martyr. I'm going to look after this place. Yikes, go, I'll phone you when everything's okay. And like, it was stupid, right? Little kids and my wife. I was selfish, man. I'd apologize to my wife later of how selfish I was until the Lord came into my life. Because, yo, we meant to be the men of the house. We meant to lead the house. And our wives are praying for us and praying for us and praying for us. And we there on our own pride and our own strength and think we can do it. Don't be fooled, guys. Just submit. Just give it to the Lord. Anyway, so we're able to get, we're able to, get to the airport. So we get a UN convoy and we have to be at the airport at 7 o'clock in the morning. And we get there at 7 o'clock in the morning. And it's the first day that this airport is opened up. And you can imagine, there's British Army, there's U.S. Army, there's U.N. Army, and then there's the local Sudanese Army. And everybody's trying to flex their muscles, showing which was, who's the biggest army here now. And there's delegates, and there's diplomats, and there's all these important people that think they're important, and who's going to get onto the airplane first, and which airplane is going to leave first, and who's the most important. So it's 45 degrees. And the... the Juba International Airport is probably the half the size of this building. So the delegates go inside the airport, and we sit outside. It's 45 degrees heat. And you can imagine our kids. So what I have forgot to say is that we had to leave that place, and we could only pack two suitcases. We were told, you're never, ever coming back here because there's going to be nothing left here. And we believed that because of what was going on around us. You're never coming back here. We could pack two suitcases. And by then, Josh was eight months old, and LaDonna was still three, almost turning four. So the two suitcases, one of the suitcases was all their stuff, nappies, food, and whatever else, because we don't even know where we're going. We haven't arranged anything. We can't phone. Phones are blocked. We're just happy to get out of there. And can I tell you something? When you're in a situation like that, you're just too grateful that you can take two suitcases. You're just too grateful that you can take two suitcases. I'll never forget. We were standing outside there on the airline, and this lady got an airplane to Khartoum. It, it was a cargo plane, and thousands of Sudanese got out. Oh, that plane took off, I don't know. And the little boy came and stood by us, and we were sort of getting irritated with this little boy. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I asked him, I said, boy, what, where's your mom gone? He said, no, she's gone on a plane. I said, where's your dad? I said, I don't have a dad. Twelve years old. And he's standing there, and I was like, we've been sitting here since 7 o'clock. It's now probably 2 o'clock. I'm grateful that I don't leave my 12-year-old here. Eventually, we left that airport at 7 o'clock at night. And we were worried because the airport doesn't have lights. If it gets dark, we wouldn't be able to take off, and then we'd have to wait until the next day. And maybe the next day becomes the next day. And we got on the airplane, and then we had to fly to Kenya. We had to drop people off in Kenya. Because your flight's not scheduled, you fall in the back of the line of the takeoffs until there's an open space. And then we went to Uganda. We stayed on the runway there. And eventually, we got to Johannesburg the next day. So this is about the 15th, 18th of December. And we get to Joburg. We've got nowhere to stay. 
We've got to get to George. So try and get a flight out of Joburg to George on the 15th or 18th of December. Like, they don't exist. So eventually we get into an airplane and we go to Cape Town. At least from Cape Town, our in-laws are in George. We can drive. So we get to Cape Town. There's no rental cars. So anyway, and by this time, you just, like people are moaning about first world problems. And you're just thinking to yourself, brother, like, you've got nothing, 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 nothing to moan about. So eventually we get, we get this combi that we're able to rent and we drive from, from Cape Town to George. And I'll never forget, we got home and it was just at a point where you just want to be with your family. And I just lay on that bed. I said, Jesus, just have it all. I've got nothing anyway. Maybe got some money in the bank. Half a suitcase left because the kids' food and mappies had been used by then. I said, like, just have it all. Here it is. Take it. Like, I don't want to go on my own esteem. I don't want to be these people. I don't want to be the person that worries about first world problems. Just have it all. Have it all. I also don't want to be the person that's trying to fight that war. I just want to be under your guidance and your protection. And that changed something in my life. Like I gave it all there. I said to Jesus, yeah, it's yours. It's yours. Have it. And it changed it a lot in my life. And we ended up staying in South Africa for two months. At the end of February, I went back to South Sudan. I just felt that I'd signed a contract and the ward started subsiding or not subsiding, but it was able to go there and there was a big business that we were responsible for. And I'd signed a contract and I just thought I had to honor this contract. Anyway, a couple of months later, the wife and kids joined us. I always say, if you want to be stupid, you have to be tough. And wife and kids joined us. But when I went back, I went back a different person. I wasn't the person that wanted to fight with people to get things done. I was like an operator, like we'll do this and we'll find a way to do this. And I'm on this train and if you don't jump on this train with me, sorry, you're going to get left behind. But things changed. I had the deeper respect for people. I started being able to work with people better. And it's funny, when you start doing that, how much more you actually get done, how much more people respect you. And, you know, we stayed there for two years, and the two years went by. And because of the war, the oil fields had stopped working. And South Sudan couldn't get oil out, so they couldn't get U.S. dollars from the oil. And everything we made, we had to import raw materials. So we, couldn't ha we didn't have enough money to import these raw materials to make the beer and the soft drinks and whatever we had. So we had a 500,000 hectoliter beer business and everything we made, we could sell. And I was the person that could apportion the thing. I've, they had to lock me in boardrooms because army generals were after me to bribe me or to kill me because they wanted all the beer so that they could have monopoly and, and push the price. I've got lots of stories to tell, but that's another or another around the campfire. But in that, we couldn't make beer. We had this brewery that could make everything itself, but couldn't make stuff anymore. So imagine that as a business model. And my boss came up to me. And my boss, you know, when you go through adversity together, you, you build a bond. My boss came up to me, and he didn't know how to tell me that he had to let us go. Because... I mean, it doesn't make sense. We can't sell anything because we can't make anything. So I was sort of expecting this thing. And at this time, 
So now and the kids were already on another flight. They were out. It was starting to get hairy. And like I said, LaDonna was on her fourth passport by the time she was five years old. And my boss walked into the, and, he, and he had to try and tell me, listen, Ben, like we've got to let you go. He said, I don't know how to tell you this. And it's not official yet, but I feel I have to honor you because we've got this relationship. But we have to let you go. And my phone rang. And I just want to show you, as we've started letting these things go, as I'm sort of pushing more into the Lord, look how he's opened doors for us. And, I, and he looked at me, and, and like the oak was sad. Eh? He was broken that he had to tell him he, he's retrenching me. And the phone rings, not rings, the message comes through, and I know LaDonna and Sunal and Joshua are sitting at the airport in Kigali. They've got an eight-hour layover in Kigali before they can take their next flight. And I know, and I said, saw LaDonna was sick. She'd send me a message before. I said to Paul, let me just take, check this message, check if the kids are okay. And I want to read you that message that Sunal sent. It says, medicine down now for 45 minutes. So it's good. The nurse was here now and said we can give her an injection if it doesn't get better. I feel it's an attack from the devil. This trip is the beginning of something new and good for us. He knows we are weak. Thank God we came on this flight. Imagine it happened on a KQ and I was short of time and at a busy airport. God is moving and preparing us for something new. I have a strong feeling about it. Let's get excited. For he is going to do a new thing. I've prayed for Donzie and she will be okay. So, so I showed my phone to my boss. And I said, look at this message that just come through. So you cannot deny that this is Jesus. You cannot deny. And as I was giving these things up, as I was giving these things up, and like I had so much comfort, this oak was sitting opposite me trying to tell me how he's going to fire me or retrench me. I'm like, but it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. You don't have to worry about me. You don't have to worry about me. So anyway... It got official, and they told me that I have to go. And he said to me, listen, Ben, go and sit tight in South Africa. In the new year, we'll find you a new posting. You'll either go to Zambia, Tanzania, Kenya, or Ghana. And <laughs> it's funny. I was given my notice, and I could leave immediately. But I had an exam a month later in Juba, that I couldn't move. So the Lord kept me in South Sudan for an extra month just so that I could write my exam. But in that time, you grow in character. You grow in character. So anyway, I came to South Africa. But just have to go backtrack a little bit. While we were in Juba in those two years, like I said to Sunal, we've got to look for a house. Because the hostility and something happens, like, where are we going to go? So things could change overnight, and we don't really have a house. We don't have a home. So where are we going to go? So I said, look for a house. And again, it was another time when they were out of the country, and so now was the parents in George. And I had to fly to Joburg for a business meeting. And I was there, and the business meeting finished on the Friday, and so Nell said to me, like, I've looked at this house, and we prayed. We prayed about this house. And like, in Sunal prayer, I always tell people, if you want your prayers to be answered, go write your name in Sunal's appointment book. 
And even if you're not going to get your hair done, ask her to pray for you. And I must say, my, my prayers have also been answered by the Lord. I just got to have the faith, eh? And we prayed for this house. And we dreamt, man. We said, yo, we want this barn-style house. And you know, I just want her little salon. And she can do her arts and crafts. And I was into coffee just as a passion and a hobby. And, and I can roast my lacquer little coffee. So anyway, it was, Tunal says, we, and that's what we prayed for. And Tunal phones me, like, let's go and look at this house. I said, I can't. I've got to be back at work in Juba on Saturday. He said, no, just make a plan. Friday afternoon, you fly out. By Saturday, you back. You fly back to South Sudan on Saturday, and by Monday, you're back at work. And we get to this house. I said, yes, okay, I'll do it. And I get to this house, and it's the house where we currently live. So we drive down this thing, and I look at this thing, and it's like, it's way over our budget. Like, you can just look at it. It's way over our budget. And then we drive in. We started looking at the place, and the lady's like, Ben, come here. Ben, come here. I'm like thinking, Jesus, lady, you don't even know me. How can you be so familiar with me? And then I realized she was speaking to her dog. <laughs> so anyway, like I'm like, okay, whatever. And we keep looking at this house, and um, there's this one room that we, they wouldn't let us go into. And for you guys that don't know, my wife's a hairdresser. And they wouldn't let us go into this room. And so I'll say to the, lady, the owner, but why don't you want to? No, no, no. It's a big mess. It's our storage room. We caught all our junk in there. And like, I'll be too embarrassed to open that door for you. She says, no, I want to go in. She says, no, no, I want to go in. And she opens the door. And inside, okay, there were a lot of boxes and stuff. But it was a fully equipped hair salon. Okay. That the previous owner's wife was a hairdresser. And yeah, was this fully equipped hair salon in this door that we weren't supposed to go into, but we sort of insisted that we'd like to go in. Like I walk out of there and I said to you, like, like, how can you not see this is the Lord? So I just want to remind you, like, we're giving these things up. I didn't want to hold on to that job. We're giving them up. And as we're giving them up and as we're praying for these things, what is God doing for us? So now it's lacquer. Yes, see, this thing's perfect. It's like our dreams. It's our wishes. It's what we prayed for. But financially, like, there's no ways we can get there. There's no ways we can get there. So I walked out, and we drove out, and I said to Sinal, you know what, this is fantastic, but maybe in five or ten years' time, we'll be ready for it. Like right now, let's just face reality. I flew back, and I went to Juba, and I carried on praying. And the Lord said to me, he said, who are you to decide what I can do for you? Who are you to decide what I can do for you? I said, well, let's put in an offer. So this is what my budget was, and we put in the offer. And you know what? The lady accepted. And even better, even better. So the, vet was, the house was VAT registered, so we didn't even have to pay transfer duties. You know, so, so I just want to encourage you, like, give these things. Give these things to the Lord. Pray about them. Leave them to Him. Don't hold on to them. So we got this house, and then we didn't know what to do with it because, we, again, we were back in Juba. But it's again, the mate, look how the Lord works. So it was a year later that the, my boss came back to me. So God was preparing a home for us to come back to. Because I thought, no, we'll move back here. I even got my in-laws. I've said to my father, Pa, come play. He said, look, you're not going to die. 
ons sal oor 5 of 10 jaar sal ons terugkom. And then a year later when my boss came to me and said, listen here, you've got to go. And when we went, came and sat in, in South Sea, stayed the extra month, wrote my exam, and they sent the exam late and it didn't count anyway. So, <laughs> Anyway, came back. I never forget, it was just before December. It was the 24th of December, 2015. And I was meant to come back with a bunch of Christmas presents for my kids. And we actually delayed our whole Christmas by a day. We fooled them and said, listen, Christmas is the next day. But anyway, got back. And then went, I went to visit my family just after Christmas for the new year. And they in the free state, and we drove there. And I'll never forget, LaDonna, it was an eight-hour drive. And LaDonna said, Daddy, surely we must be in another country by now. I said, yes, my girlie, we are. We're in the free state. <laughs> and we had family time there. And on our way back, we also, like I said, just in our luck, I said, I feel the Lord's convicting me that my bonus is based on how much alcohol I sell to other people. And please, if you're in an industry, don't. That's not for you. I'm not saying you have to take that. But that, that was for me. That's what the Lord convicted me on. And I said, look, let's maybe look. Maybe I can go work for Coca-Cola. Because SAB owned most of Coca-Cola's bottling plants. And we were driving back, and I said, let's look for a coffee roaster. If we find a coffee roaster, we stay. If we don't find a coffee roaster, let's just see what happens. That Monday, that Monday when you go back to work, that first Monday in January where everyone goes back to work, at the time, Marketplace wasn't a thing yet. And so Nalt went on to Gumtree. While she was on Gumtree, a roaster came up while she was on Gumtree. I phoned the lady immediately. She said, I haven't even posted the, th the advert yet. I said, I knew this was from the Lord. I said, how much is a deposit? I'm gonna pay. I didn't even know, care how much it was going to cost. So I went and I bought this roaster. And I, got, I went and hired a trailer. And I drove back 80 kilometers from where I was the previous day in the free state. And ended up buying this lady's whole coffee shop, loaded it on a trailer, and I came back to Grootbrak. And I phoned my boss and I said to him, don't look for a new posting for me. He said, well, are you going to work for the competition? I said, no, I'm going to start roasting coffee. He said, sorry, that line's a bit scratchy. I didn't hear you so clearly. <laughs> I said, no, I'm going to roast coffee. He flew down to come and see me to see if I was making the right decision. And I want to tell you, I was in a place where I knew nobody. Nobody. We didn't know a single person in Grootbrak. We're not from this area. And I started a business that I knew nothing about. That was my passion. In the meantime, we, were back in, we got back from South Sudan. We packed some of our stuff. It was at Christmas time. The stuff got stopped at the border. It got looted. It got ransacked. And hardly any of our stuff came here. I want to tell you I gave up things twice in my life. But I, said, it's done. I said to my wife, the few boxes that came, I said, Chanel, pack those things in the store. We leave them for there for six months and we could have forgotten what was in there. And when we open up, we won't even be disappointed to see what we've lost. <laughs> and we did that. And guys, yummy here. See Jesus' story in this thing. In a place where I knew nobody, in a business I knew nothing about. And God has been in it all the time and every time. 
And I, and I asked myself, we had a, our birthday party. Someone might have been at our 40th birthday party three years ago. And we're the type of people, we don't know which people we should leave out, so we just told everybody to come. There were 85 adults. No, sorry, there were 85 or 90 people all together with kids. The next day, somebody phoned me and said, like, how, how, how do you let so many people in your house? Like, aren't you scared they're going to break stuff? I was like, it's not mine anyway. Like, I've, I've been at a point where I've had nothing. Where I've had everything and where I've had nothing. And the freedom that I've had when I've given everything up, when I've given everything to Jesus, has been so much better. The places he's taken me, because, and I'm not saying I'm there yet. And I'm sure there's certain things in my life. Don't look at me, I'm not perfect. Okay, I'm sure there's a lot of things in my life that I can give up, that I still need to give up. But you know what? That stirred my faith. It makes it so much easier because I know when I yoke with him, he'll take me through this all. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, give it up. Give it up. I don't make the money, but I don't need that money. Like, I've got this. I've got so much more that Jesus has given me. But, and there's a big but, it can change like this. It can change like this. And I'm reminded of this scripture. Because we can get arrogant. We can fall into the things of this world so quickly and so easily. And this scripture reminds me, it's Galatians 5 verse 1. This is Paul, and you're writing to the people of Galatia. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I know what that slavery was. Can we have the band come up, please? I know what that slavery was. Okay, and I've got to be so careful. I can be so careful because God's given me success. Maybe through people, maybe through finances, maybe through a beautiful family. Maybe through a beautiful church. But if I'm not careful and I'm not grateful for that stuff, I can lose it very quickly. So, so that's part of my testimony, and maybe someday I'll get to share the other part. That's, that's a short part of it. But again, I just, in closing, I just want to say to you, I hope you've seen in my testimony how, as I've started giving things up, what, because the heading of my preach was, what would we look like, what would it look like if we gave everything up? And as I started giving things up, how Jesus came more and more into my life. Okay, and it's reciprocal. I gave this up. I'm not saying it's that, look, I'll do this and you do that. It's not a transaction. It's a heart posture. 